Welcome to, to Highland Park. Whether you're here with us in person or you're joining us online, we are so glad that you're here. Um, and we're looking forward to this service and all that, uh, everything that's been prepared and what the Lord has in store for us. And so I just want to start off with a couple of announcements and uh, then we'll go into a time of offering and then we'll start with some worship. So if you're online, please let us know who is with you. Let us know your prayer requests. Um, we want to be able to connect with you there and connection is so important. Um, and if you'd like to connect with us and you're, you're here, um, you can text this, this number up on the screen and just text connect and we will get you connected in a small group. We'll connect you, hook you up with core 52. If you're not hooked up with that already, we will connect you with someone to pray with. Um, we want to be a church that connects with one another and connects uh, with the Lord as well. And so please do that if you haven't already. Um, now, students and parents, our high school students will be attending an amazing conference called CIY Move, which I have been to and you guys can testify it is just life-changing um, for, for a high schooler, for a student. And so that will be awesome. Um, our junior high students will be going to camp. Both places have taken lots of steps to make the week safe. And we already know that they are life-changing weeks. But there are only a few spots left, so be sure to register at ASAP at hptulsa.com. Um, or you can see Beth Jennings for more info. And next up, save the date. We have a day of serving, which is so exciting. We love day of serving here at Highland Park. Um, it's going to be May 16th. Um, we'll worship together at our regular 1030 time, and then we will serve afterwards. So more details on that next week. And uh, something that we do here at Highland Park, we do believe that when we give, when we participate in offering, when we set aside uh, some of our, our income, some of what the Lord has blessed us with, um, that advances the kingdom and that serves the church, God's church. And so you can give in a couple different ways. You can give online. Um, you can text it. You can mail it, drop it off at the church. There is a blue box guy in the lobby that you can't miss if you want to drop something off there. But all of that goes towards advancing the kingdom in the name of Jesus. And so thank you for your giving. And um, I'm going to pray over this service today. Um, so would you please join me in that? Heavenly Father, God, uh, we praise you that, that you are a faithful God. Lord, we, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will will be done today. Here in this place, God, in our hearts, may your will be done. And Lord, let it be less of us and more of you. We just pray that your spirit would move and be active within us, in our lives, in our homes, in our community, God. We're so thankful and we can't wait to worship you. In your name we pray, amen. Would you all please stand and worship with us? In our hearts again, increase in us, we pray, unveil while we're made. 
Praise the Son, praise 
Give my 
away as a living sacrifice you have every part of us all of us we surrender to you God we know you're gonna do what you do you're gonna deliver because that's what you do that's who you are you are a deliverer you are a provider you are faithful and we just pray that you would use us as your vessels today May we advance your kingdom, not ours. Less of us and more of you, God. Less of us and more of you. In your name that we pray, amen. You all may be seated. When I came in this morning, several people were like, Haley, I need some survival skills. Do you have any information for me about survival skills? No, nobody actually said that to me. But I am going to give you some unsolicited advice this morning about some survival skills, okay? So in survival situations, there is something called the infamous rules of three. You may have heard this before. So the infamous rules of three are that you can live three weeks without food. You can live three days without, does anybody know? Water. And you can live three minutes without air, right? Oxygen, air. Um, and that's not true for some people. I mean, there are some people apparently that can hold their breath for like 10, 15 minutes, and that's crazy. But normal people like me can only go about three minutes without oxygen or air. Now, the main point of this survival knowledge is so that if you're ever in that situation, you can prioritize what to go after first. 
But wise survivalists will tell you that there's actually one more rule of three that you need to add to that list. And the rule is you can't go three seconds without hope. Can't go three seconds without hope. So if you give up hope, all motivation to pursue anything else is lost. But hope tells your heart that all is not lost, even as the storm rages. Think about it. Gale force winds can come in. You can have tsunami waves busting down the the lulls of your life. And hope is still going to tell you the best is yet to come. You are buoyed by the belief that the best is yet to come. The hope that we hold on to, though, sometimes isn't always the most helpful. Sometimes we grab on to hope, like the hope of not being lonely and the hope of being loved. That can actually motivate us to stay in relationships that aren't so healthy. Maybe we can get, you know, hold on to hope that, um, that you know, we want to fit in or be fulfilled in some way. And so we make financial decisions that we later regret. Maybe we hold on the hope that the pain will go away. And so we do some things to our bodies that aren't so helpful. This type of hope is very discouraging. But this morning, I'm going to share with you briefly about a greater hope. A greater hope in Hebrews chapter 6 that tells us that it's a hope that is an anchor of the soul. A hope both trustworthy and steadfast. And one that leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. My friends, this hope is Jesus Christ who has entered as a forerunner before us. So that original Greek word for forerunner was the word prodromos. And prodromos is described as a pilot boat that would go ahead of a large vessel and bring its anchor into a difficult to navigate harbor. So just imagine a large ship coming to the outskirts of the port and just stopping and waiting until the prodromos comes out, grabs hold of the anchor, and can pull that large, huge vessel, even with all the chaos going around it, it could pull that large, huge vessel all the way to shore until the ship could be slowly and safely winched in, solidly in place. Jesus is our prodromos and our anchor. He blazed a trail before us, making a way where there seemed to be no way. So that in any circumstance and every day, we can say the best is yet to come. No matter what waves come crashing around us, there is nothing that can separate us from his love and all the benefits of the path that he has paved for us. I am so grateful for our time of communion every Sunday. I need every reminder that I am anchored to the one who was willing to sacrifice everything for us. He did it knowing our instabilities, our imperfections, and our sinfulness. 
This hope keeps me motivated to live life abundantly every day and proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. I want you to let it sink in and revive your soul. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor. Jesus is our prodromos, leading the way. We are now tightly anchored and nothing can separate us from him. Before we dive into eating the bread and drinking the juice together today, I would like us to spend a moment in prayer talking to our trustworthy prodromos. So get your, your elements ready, but for now, I would like you to just close your eyes, and I want you to just go with me before the Father. I want you to think about him and, and his sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. What do you need to confess to him this morning? Father God, we confess that we fall short. We confess that sometimes we try to to hold on to a hope that is not you, and it always falls short. What has Jesus saved you from? Think about your week. What has he walked you through? What has he guided you through? God, you have made a way where there seemed to be no way, but you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross on our behalf. You have done something that was impossible for us to do on our own. Lord, there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And you have given us benefits beyond benefits of things that we don't deserve, but you have bestowed upon us. Thank you for allowing us to come before you today and be reminded that Jesus is our prodromos and our anchor. We thank you, God. Please forgive us of our sins. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Now let's share of our time of eating together. Whether you're watching from home or if you're here with us in person, take your bread. And if, if you have, if you want to, raise it high with me. Because I want to give praise and glory to the God who sacrificed his body for us. Now take it and eat and be filled. If you have your juice, hold it high. Give praise for the blood which has been poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And drink, my friends, and be satisfied. And it is by the body and blood of Jesus we have been declared not guilty Now this is a hope that will never disappoint.
right, good morning, friends. My name is Brian. I'm on staff here at Highland Park, and it's really good uh, to be with you this morning. Those uh, participating online, we're really glad that you are here. I always try to log in for just a minute before the service starts and chat with everybody. And if you're here in person, um, just know that there's really good things that happen on the online chat as well. I saw people were praying for one another, checking on one another, and that's what the church should do, whether we're sitting here in person or participating online. Uh, we're really thankful uh, that you are here. I think our sermon today has so much application for 2021 that I just want to ask you to lean in to what God wants to teach us this morning. And we're going to take kind of a sprint through the book of 1 Samuel and a little bit before and after and end up in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, talking about a really important topic that is one of the largest topics of the entire scripture. Before we get there, let me tell you about third grade. In third grade, I had to do one of those tests that you've had to do at some point, maybe in school, maybe at the, at the eye doctor's office. But I had to take a test and it looked something like that. And I didn't get very far. <laughs> and you know, it's funny on those tests, we do something really weird. Like we actually try to guess like that last line that you can see, you know, where it gets fuzzy. And for some reason, like I don't know why, but like even still today at my age, like I'm trying to get like one more line than I can actually get as if somehow that will be beneficial to my life. Like all that that would do is if I guessed it right, is they're going to give me glasses that don't really work, right? <laughs> um, but I remember third grade, I failed that thing. It was like E, and then after that, I was like, I don't know. Um, everything was a blur, and I did not really want glasses. Uh, but of course, once I put them on, I was like, oh, like there's stuff out there um, that actually has shape to it and such. And I remember my mom told the eye doctor, um, now my, my son, he's... Uh, he's, he's pretty active, and you're going to need some glasses that don't break easily. And the doctor, I don't know why I remember this so well. I just remember him saying, like, trust me, we've got some glasses that nobody can break. And then I remember being back in the doctor's office a week later and my mom saying, hey, remember these glasses that you said uh, wouldn't break? Well, here they are. <laughs> and, and so I, I often had to get new glasses because they were, I was getting busted in the side of the head with a basketball or baseball or my brother or whatever. And, um, uh, but I remember realizing like, oh, vision is kind of cool. And so, so from third grade until about uh, three or four years ago, I had to wear glasses or contact lenses. And then three or four years ago, I had the opportunity to have LASIK surgery done. And that was really scary, like having people touch my eyeball isn't my favorite thing. But afterwards, like it worked. And I could wake up in the middle of the night and see things and not have to try to find my glasses. I could go swimming uh, with the kids and feel pretty confident that I hadn't offended a number of people who knew me and were like, hey, Brian, and waved, but I wouldn't even see them. I always wondered, who am I walking by? Who are these shapes that are coming by me? But vision is pretty important for us to see the world. But there's something more important than physical vision, because there's actually a lot of people with poor, poor eyesight that have great vision. But the vision I want to talk about is more than just eyesight. It's seeing the world as God sees the world. Thinking about the world as God thinks about the world. Dreaming about hopes for the world, the same as God hopes for the world. That's the type of vision that we want to talk about. And specifically, God's kingdom, or God's vision for the kingdom. 
Because mankind's vision for kingdoms has usually been at odds with God's vision for the kingdom. And if you've never really thought about the kingdom, that's okay. Buckle up because we're going to think about it a lot for the next 15 or 20 minutes and hopefully really help us get on board with what God's vision for the kingdom is. So let's backtrack just a little bit. We've been talking about how God has set us apart. And last week we talked about how God set Moses apart. That means he gave him a specific purpose in in his vision for Israel to be rescued out of slavery. And Moses followed the Lord and uh, was a poor leader at the beginning, but then became a great leader for God. And God used him, faults and all. And then after Moses, uh, remember the Israelites uh, finally got to the promised land, this great land, and they had a series of judges that would lead them, kind of these leaders, these spiritual leaders for them uh, that would kind of keep them on track or at least try to. But oftentimes the Israelites rebelled against godly leadership. And so we get down to Judges 21, 25, and here's this phrase that shows up a number of times, and it's not a good one. It says this, In those days... There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel, see, started to look around, and they were like, let's not so worry, worry so much about what God says. I just want to do what I want to do, to do what is right in my eyes. That's why pe- when people say, just trust your heart, be like, uh-uh, because I know my heart, and I know your heart. And when we just trust our heart, that gets us in a whole lot of trouble. If, if we could really just trust our heart, the earth would be just fine. And last headlines I saw, the earth is not just fine. Trusting our heart gets us all kinds of trouble. Instead, we need to trust God's heart. So uh, the, the people said, you know what we want? We want a king because we kind of want to be like everyone else. And, and Samuel said, the prophet who was there providing leadership, Samuel said, I think that's a bad idea, guys. I, I don't think that you want a king. And they said this, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. Now they're just sounding like kids or teenagers, like, like everybody else has a phone and everybody else has a king. Nobody else has a curfew. Like, right? You hear these, and they're like, everybody else has a king. And here's why they wanted a king. A king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. We want a king who will lead us into military victory to protect us, to fight our battles, to fight our obscured, messed up view of kingdom. That's what we want. So the Israelites had a vision for kingdom ruled by a king who would do anything on their behalf to allow them to win military, political battles. Here's the crazy thing. God granted their request. Isn't that an interesting thing about God? He granted their request. 1 Samuel 8, 7, the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you, Samuel, they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. The thing is, the Israelites had the opportunity to have God as king, and they're like, eh, maybe we should have uh, one of us be the king. And, and God sometimes says to us, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. Enter Saul. He's tall. He's handsome, 
He looks the part of a king. And that was important to the Israelites. I mean, look at Saul. Everything about him looks great. He looks like a king. And God said, okay, he can be king. And he was a good, humble king for a little while. And a little arrogance, a little envy, a little bitterness, fear, paranoia. And Saul ended up kind of stacking up a number of bad choices and sinful choices and foolish choices. And I mean, I'm rushing through Old Testament history right now, but we get to 1 Samuel 8, 7, and it says, And the Lord told him, listen to all that the, or I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 15, 26. Um, Samuel told Saul, you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And since God rejected Saul as king, he commanded Samuel the prophet, go anoint a new king. And he says, go to the town of Bethlehem. Hmm, that sounds familiar. The place where Jesus would be born. Go to the town of Bethlehem, but this is a thousand years or so earlier. God told Samuel, I have chosen one of Jesse's sons. Hmm, okay, so there's this guy named Jesse. He lives in Bethlehem. One of his boys is going to be the next king. So Samuel arrives in Bethlehem, and he invites Jesse and his sons. And when Samuel shows up, you know that that's really important. And he says, one of your boys is going to be king. And so Samuel just assumes, obviously, we're talking about Eliab, my firstborn. The firstborn is always the firstborn. Okay, in that culture, the firstborn is always the firstborn was the was the one who was going to be the chosen person. And he brought him out and God tells Samuel, "Mm -mm, not that one. What? Not not Eliab. And we get to this verse, first Samuel 16, seven, that some of you memorize this week if you're doing the devotions along with us. This verse that has application for 2021, just as much as it had application uh, 3,000 years ago. But here's what it says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hmm. So God tells Samuel, Eliab is not the one. I have chosen. In fact, we find out a chapter later that Eliab, while he is the firstborn, while he is tall, while he is handsome, while he has the part, looks the part of the king, we find out he's petty and jealous and quick-tempered. Good thing he doesn't become king. Because God's not looking at just the outside stuff, but the heart. And so then the rest of the boys come by, and God is telling Samuel, nope, nope. Finally, like, well, do you have any other kids, Jesse? And Jesse, well... There's that one, but he's just watching the sheep. And Samuel says, I won't sit down until you bring him here. Like in other words, hurry, bring him. Enter David, who who has the lowly job of being the shepherd for the family, watching the sheep. And out he comes, and Israel's future changes forever. He's described as healthy and handsome, but he's not the tallest, not the most impressive, not the firstborn, but he's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Now, we know that he had some unbelievably horrific sins in his life, and yet 
we also see that he would confess and repent and turn back to the Lord and follow him. You know, we think a lot about appearances, don't we? Like in our culture, like there's stuff that you can buy from head to your toe to make you look better. There's creams and gels and surgeries and all kinds of things. And I hate to think the amount of money our country spends on stuff that makes us look better every year. We could probably do some things with that. And I'm not saying it's not wrong to get your hair in place or to have your shirt match your pants. Nothing wrong with that. But we make the same mistake that Jesse made was we think way too much about how we look. And what we know is that the more we obsess about how we look, the less satisfied we are, right? That, that maybe Proverbs is kind of wise here. That, that maybe we realize it's not just that if you just spend all this time thinking about how you look and if you look, read the whole book of Ecclesiastes trying to find meaning through how you look or how others look at you or trying to be impressive, it gets you nowhere. And yet we still haven't learned. Our culture is still chasing that stuff and chasing that stuff and chasing that stuff. And God says, it may not be about how you look. I love Psalm 78. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. I love that. Because some of you are from the sheep pens. Some of us feel like we're from the sheep pens. We, we don't look all that great. We're not all that impressive. We don't, have, we don't have maybe wealth behind us or academics behind us or athletics behind us. Um, or we just feel like we've got these dis disadvantages. Or maybe we just feel the shame of sin, of our own arrogance, of our own brokenness. And God says, I call you from the sheep pens. From the lowliest places, I call you. And I want to tell you, my friends, that if you feel like you're in the sheep pens and that you're worthless and that you're not good enough, God says, you're just the kind of person I'm looking for to be part of my kingdom because my kingdom is way different than the kingdoms of this world. So that's good news for us. He's calling you out of the sheep pens. More about David next week. We'll, we'll spend some more time studying him. We, we know that after David, Israel was a bit like a yo-yo, going from good king to bad king, or usually it was like bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king. It just kind of went back and forth. And they end up in captivity. captivity and they have these uh, enemies, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and they, they end up being ruled by others, and we get all the way to zero B.C. And we find Israel is now in their land, but they don't rule their own land because Rome rules everybody. And so Rome is ruling over them and taxing them and making life hard on them and even saying Caesar is Lord, Caesar is king, this is the great kingdom, the eternal kingdom, and, and all of this. And so the Jewish people can't stand it and they feel like they're oppressed and they're broken and they're taxed to death. And the Israelites had this vision for a kingdom, one that was powerful and expanding, and they got it, but they didn't know that they got it. See, they were, they were still looking 
for that military political leader to come and rescue them from the Romans, to defeat their enemies, to destroy anyone that would come against them, to give them these secure borders and big walls and great palaces and easy living so that they could be their kingdom. And Jesus comes and says, I'm all that you've prayed for. It's just you've been thinking and looking for the wrong thing. That I have this kingdom that is completely different than the kingdoms of this world. I am a king who's different than the kings that you're used to. And so the Israelites um, envisioned a kingdom that conquered with military might. But God envisioned a kingdom that served with sacrificial love. Their kingdom, they wanted, uh, would be adorned with the spoils of war. But God's kingdom would be adorned with the fruit of the Spirit. Their kingdom would be feared. God's kingdom would cast out fear. Their kingdom would be fueled by nationalistic pride. God's kingdom would be fueled by love. Their kingdom would expand and secure its borders. God's kingdom would have no borders. Their kingdom would be ruled by a king who would kill his enemies. God's kingdom would be ruled by a king who made friends and would die for his enemies enemies. So we get a vision for an eternal kingdom. The kingdoms of this world have often fancied themselves to be eternal, but a look back at history is not so much, right? They come and they go and they come and they go, but God's kingdom, he says, is truly eternal. And so when Jesus walked on this earth, and we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell of his time on this planet, the thing that he talked about just about more than anything else was kingdom. Kingdom, 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 kingdom. And so we come to some questions of that, that, that Jesus would answer for us. Is God's kingdom coming? Yes. Is God's kingdom already here? Yes. How? Because God's kingdom is coming and it will fully be here when Christ returns. It will fully be in its greatest fullness and completeness. But even now, God's kingdom is here. It's working, it's moving, it's happening. And to help you understand what God's kingdom is, I think the most simple thing that we can do is just remember the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Okay, what does it mean for God's kingdom to come? To, to answer that, all you have to do is to say the next line of the prayer. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What does it look like for God's kingdom to come to earth? What that looks like is for God's will to be done on earth. Because his kingdom is spiritual. His kingdom is beyond just uh, the nations of this earth and the cities of this earth. But his kingdom is his will, his motives, his heart lived out in his people all over this planet. And so when we pray, God, I pray for your kingdom to come, we're not just praying for Jesus to return. We're praying also for God's will to be done now in my heart, in our hearts, uh, on, in everyone's heart. 
that we would act as Jesus wants us to act, that we would speak as Jesus wants us to speak, that we would follow his lead. That's his kingdom. The kingdoms of this world have a hard time with that. And church, I, I want to just say this warning to you. The kingdoms of this world will vie for your greatest allegiance. Businesses, industries, money, cities, states, countries, organizations, even teams, maybe even a family. The kingdoms of this world will say, bow to me first and foremost. And one of the great uh, warnings of the church through scriptures is, don't give your allegiance to any of them above Jesus. Russell Moore this last week said, what happens when people reject the church because they think that we reject Jesus and the gospel? See, what he was concerned about was not that people would reject the church because there's all these outside things going on and influencing them. That will always be the case. There will always be unbelievers that bring about an unhealthy, unspiritual kingdom invitation to people. But what happens when people who don't know Jesus look at the church and they see the church and they see the people are actually more committed to other kingdoms than the kingdom of God? That is the great concern of scripture, of church, make sure that you correct one another. That's why Paul says, it's no business of yours to judge those outside the church. Judge those inside the church. And it's very easy in our day for us to get really worked up about and judging everybody who's outside the church. They're our enemy. They're attacking us. They're coming at us, the church. And Paul would say like, yeah, okay, fine. But what does Jesus say? How does Jesus say you act towards your enemies? You love them. You don't make a war with them. The culture wars of our country are so enticing for us to jump into. But church, I'm begging you, follow the lead of Jesus and reject anything that says, hey, come to our kingdom and declare them the enemy. Jesus says, no, 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 no. We die for our enemies. We, we, we love our enemies. We reject this us versus them stuff. Instead, if we're going to confront somebody, it's going to be somebody in the church. We're going to make sure that the church is following our greatest allegiance, the kingdom of God. So that all brings us to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 17 through 23. I'm just going to kind of read them kind of slowly because I want them to really, these words to sink in and maybe a passage that you want to read again later today. Ephesians 1, 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, you all, the church, the church all over the globe, may give you all the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart, vision here, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance 
in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I think it's hard to interact with the kingdoms of this world in a healthy way because maybe you're like me and there's been times in your life where you've been like, I serve God first and foremost, but I want to have some influence in these smaller little small K kingdoms. But sometimes it's really easy to stick our toe in and try to give a little bit of influence and to end up ensnared in that. And suddenly now we view everything through that lens instead of the great kingdom lens. But when we read the scriptures, Jesus is not just saying, hey, follow me, which means be saved and just worry about the next life. Jesus doesn't just spend all of his time saying, hey, get saved and then you're good in this life and you'll get to go to heaven. The call of Jesus is greater than that. Jesus is calling you to be part of his kingdom, which includes this life now and the life to come. So we don't abandon this world right now. Oh, there's times that we have to be like, okay, I'm not getting entangled in that. I'm not getting entangled in that. I'm not getting entangled in that. But I love them, and I love them, and I love them, and I love them, and I serve them, and I serve them, and I care for them. And we feed the poor, and we tell the good news, and we speak the truth, and we care for families, and we go visit the hurting, and we go to the prisons because we want God's kingdom to come on this earth And then we can't wait for it to be fulfilled and completed when Jesus comes and his kingdom is in its great fullness for eternity. That's the kingdom. So, if you've never said yes to Jesus, it's more than just saying, God, I've messed up and I want to get into heaven. It is saying, God, I recognize the depravity of my sins that separate me from you. But God, I do need saved from my sins and I commit myself to follow you on this earth as best I can, mistakes and all, following you. And I can't wait to be united with you in eternity. And if you've never done that, we invite you to do that even this morning. We'd be glad to visit with you. For those of you who are participating online, thank you for being with us this morning and for studying with us. And if you would like someone to talk to you or pray with you about following Jesus, then you can just hit that button that's popping up on your screen. If you're watching this later online, just go to that prayer button or get a hold of the church office. Be glad to study and pray with you. We are glad to drop everything else and do that. And if you're here with us in person, then we would be glad to study and pray with you. And when this time is over, we'd be glad to just meet you on the patio. I'll be out there and others will be out there. We'd be glad to pray with you.
be glad to visit with you. Maybe you just need to have a prayer this morning of, God, help me to realign my priorities with your kingdom priorities. Or maybe you're ready to say yes to following Jesus, who invites you to be part of something greater than anything this world has to offer. So, so let me pray for us. And I just ask you to, to let your heart be open to how God is speaking. Father, we, we pause and we're just listening to you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. In my heart, in our hearts, in the heartbeat of this church family, in your global church, in every place around the planet, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're so glad uh, that you are with us this morning. And if you have not connected with a group or you are interested in serving and giving your best energy and efforts to one of our ministry teams that is caring for those in the church and those in the community and beyond, uh, then there's several ways that you can align yourself to God's kingdom work here through Highland Park. And there's going to be a number that pops up. If you just text the word connect to that number, uh, then you can just kind of follow those instructions. And we would love for you to be able to do that. We'd be glad to visit with you out on the patio um, as well. And so uh, I know that uh, we've now officially entered this time of like things are looking better in Tulsa and yet they're still awkward and clunky, right? And it's kind of like the reverse of the clunkiness we were in a year ago. And uh, we recognize that. And, um, and I just want to say how thankful we are for your graciousness as we work through these still awkward, clunky times of loving for one another, caring one another. You all are just knocking out of the park and caring for one another. So keep doing that. Keep caring for one another. Let us know of, of the needs that you have. Uh, we also uh, recognize lots of uh, the stuff that's happening all around our world. And uh, I wanted to just take 30 seconds to give you one bit of kind of how to think in a kingdom way about some of that. Um, when you talk to someone who expresses their great disillusionment about injustice, I would encourage you uh, to not say it, it doesn't happen or it's completely hopeless. I would encourage you to say, do you know why your heart breaks for injustice? Because God created you and he's a just God. And I, I wanna just encourage you to pray for our world when their heart breaks for injustice, no matter how that is in whatever context. Pray that people far from God would realize their hearts are breaking for injustice because God is a just God and God is calling them to follow him as well. So we pray for times of revival, even in these times of turbulence in our world. And I just wanted to pray uh, for those situations, and then we'll be dismissed today. Father, we recognize there's tons of turbulence, and we recognize um, uh, there's lots of broken, brokenness. And so, God, we pray that people, even in their brokenness, 
would realize that they feel some of those things that they feel because you are a God who heals, a God who is just, a God of compassion. And I pray that you would put believers in their lives who could give them that great hope in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed, have a great day. Thank you.